for those that have lost of late. And Lord, I just pray that you would just let your hand be upon them in such a mighty way. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated tonight. Thank you, worship team. Let's give these guys some love tonight. Appreciate you. Let's give a shout out to Don and our media team up there. Amen. Thank you for your faithfulness. Amen. As you're turning in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians tonight, we're going to go 2 Corinthians, the third chapter. As you're, as you're turning there, we are going to have, we'll give a couple of announcements. We're going to have a schedule change. First Wednesday of October, say that with me, first Wednesday of October, we're going to move the adult service from 6 to 7. Uh, now the kids will meet in the back. The, the, uh, the, the little kids will continue to have kids view. From 7 to 8, uh, the youth, the teenagers, will continue uh, with, their, with their class over there. We're going to have some other things from 7 to 8. We're going to have an intercessory prayer going on in the, in the sanctuary, if you're interested in that. Patricia, William, Patricia Wilson is going to be leading that. And then as weeks progress, we're going to be offering some other programs from that 6 to 7, one of which is Living Free. I'm excited about that. Uh, have three couples that are that are going through the training right now. We're almost finished with the training, uh, but it's just if you've got something in your life that is hindering you from from moving forward, doesn't matter what it is. Uh, if there is some life controlling thing or just something that just uh, uh, it seems to be a constant aggravation that you need just a little help and encouragement to overcome, then this is the class for you. And so uh, this is called Living Free, and it's a program we're excited about. I want you to look with me in 2 Corinthians. I'm going to switch mics on you, Don. 2 Corinthians 3, <coughs> verse uh, 7. We're going to begin in verse 7. Now, I've made up my own little amplified Bible version tonight, okay? So, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be reading in the ESV version and then I'm going to be putting a little bit, uh, uh, little addendums on each one of the Passion Translation. So I just made up my own Amplified. So if you'll stay with me, uh, it'll make sense as we go here. Second uh, Corinthians 3, and we're going to be, this is going to be a, a scripture-heavy night. It's called a Bible study, right? We should just study the Bible, right? All right. I'm just getting some license there. I had one maybe okay. But we're just going to go for it. All right. 2 Corinthians 3, I want to begin reading in verse 7. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, a glory destined to fade away. So there's a glory with the with the ministry of death, is what Paul is calling it, and it is destined to fade away. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, then the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. How much more does the ministry that imparts righteousness far excel in glory? Don't you like that? Indeed, in this case, that once had glory has come to have no glory at all. Wait a minute. Let's look at, let's stop there for a minute. Let's just look at that. The, the ministry of, of Moses had glory, but now he's, he's kind of shifting gears a little bit and just driving home his point. Because the glory that surpasses it. What once was glorious, no longer holds any glory because of the increasingly greater glory that has replaced it. Mm. Think about it this way. You've got, a, you've got a light lamp and you bring it into a dark room and you light it up. 
say you had an extension cord long enough and you're, you're holding that light and, man, it's illuminating in a dark room, but you walk outside on a Texas summer day in the, at noon when the sun is high and no clouds in the sky, uh, what do you have? You have a light that surpasses all the light of that, of that lamp. Amen? This is, what, this is what Paul is talking about here. For if what was being brought to an end, verse 11, for what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. So then... With this amazing hope living in us, we step out in freedom and boldness to speak the truth. Verse 13, now like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But when one turns to the Lord, notice this, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the, Lord, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now the Lord I'm referring to is the Holy Spirit. Wherever He is Lord, get that, wherever He is Lord, there is freedom. That's good enough to say again. Where He is Lord, there is freedom. Where He is Lord, there is freedom. If He's Lord, then there's freedom. If He's not Lord, then there may not be freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, tonight, we're going to take a scenic journey. You ever been on the highway and, and you're, I, I see them in Arkansas and drive through Arkansas and you've got... You've got uh, Highway 7 that goes down, and then you have also Highway 7 scenic route. And there's a little bit more twists and turns, but man, the beauty of it is extraordinary. Dan, am I telling the truth? You know, you get off that scenic route. He, he lived in Arkansas for a while. You get off that scenic route, and you can go, uh, you can go and you can enjoy the scenery. We're going we're gonna to take, um, Don, if you can, just turn that off. Thank you. Um, we're going to take the scenic route tonight to get to our destination because I believe the Lord many times will take us on a journey to bring us to a destination that we wouldn't see the fullness of it without that journey. The answer so many times is bigger than the question. The questions are easy. Where, when, why, how, what? We can ask the questions all day long, but it's it's times where God has to take us on a journey so that we're prepared to receive the answer. So as we're looking at this, we see that Paul was ministering to the church at Corinth. He's writing a letter, and he's talking to them about the, 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 the comparison of Moses' ministry and Jesus' ministry. And we see that he, he calls the one, and it's not that the Torah and Moses representing the Torah and the law, it's not that the law is bad at all. Don't understand, it's the Torah. It means instruction. It, it, it is what leads us to Christ. It is what shows us the holiness of God. It, it teaches us the ways of God. It was the covenant that was keeping humanity in a place, in harnessing humanity until the, the covenant ultimate sacrifice of the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, came. And so we're indebted to Israel being the covenant people for, for, for this journey and being the, being the people of covenant so that we all may, Gentiles, be grafted in. Amen? So as we look at this, we, we, we see that Paul calls it the ministry of condemnation or the ministry of death. In other words, we could not fulfill the righteousness of the law because our, our nature and our sin nature was there. 
But he, he's doing a comparison between Moses and Jesus. And I'm going to start with some similarities that took place because what he's referring to is whenever Moses went up to the mount, was invited to the Lord, come up to the mountain, Mount Sinai, and I'm going to give you the law. I'm going to give you the instruction on the tabernacle. You're going to go down, and I'm going to make a covenant with my people. And so Moses goes up, and in the presence of God, he begins to glow. Not even being aware of it, he comes down off of the mountain, and his face is glowing. Now, I don't know about you, but I might freak out a little bit if somebody came in and their face was glowing. I'd be like, get the hazmat team out here because they have some radioactive activation going on in their life. We need to back this thing up. But he came down and he was glowing because he had been in the presence of God. Now, we see that Jesus also goes up to the mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration. When he goes up to the Mount of Transfiguration, the Bible tells us his entire being, even his clothes, began to illuminate and radiate and, and, and just expose the inmost part of who he is and God himself. And there he is on the Mount of Transfiguration. It wasn't just his, it wasn't just his face glowing. It was his entire being was glowing. It was the glory of God. Could you just imagine? Now, there's some similarities there in their ministry, but also some similarities there in their encounter with God the Father. We see in both cases, they go up to the mountain with God. In both cases, three men go with them. With Moses, it was Aaron, Nabad, and Abihu. Jesus took Peter, James, and John. In both accounts, a cloud covered the mountain. There was a cloud that was covering the mountain when Moses went up. There was a cloud covering the mountain when Jesus went up. In Exodus 24, it tells us that six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses. Now, in Matthew's gospel and Mark's gospel, the writers are careful to tell us that they were up there for six days. They were up there for six days upon the mountains. And in both stories, nothing happened for six days. But on the seventh day, God spoke. I don't know about you, but this is kind of intriguing to me. In both accounts, God spoke from the cloud. He spoke to Moses from the cloud. He spoke to the, those that were there from the cloud. In, in both stories, God's glory appeared. And he transfigured the appearance of those who were receiving, that being Moses and Jesus. Mm, we could just stop and preach all day right there, amen? What happens and why is it so important for the body of Christ to speak the words of God? Because it transfigures and changes people. And we see the glory of God settled on both mountains. So we have here some similarities. But he found out in Exodus 24 and 9 for the note takers, Exodus 24 and 9, that Moses, Aaron, Nabad, Nadab, and Abihu, and there were 70 elders that went up to the mountain, a certain portion of the mountain. We find out that Jesus appoints 70 disciples to go out in Luke, the 10th chapter. And then in Luke 10, 17, they, the 70 returned to the Lord and said, even the demons are subject to your name. Now, what's the significance of 70? 70 is where we find in Genesis 10, the table of nations. There are 70 nations that come out of the lineage of Noah, 14 from Japheth, 30 from Ham, and 26 from Shem. If you want to know the table of nations, that's where it originates in Genesis 10. So we see there that there were 70 on the mountain, and Jesus sends out 70. We're going somewhere, so just stay with me. Now, as we see this, what we, what we have to look at is that seven weeks after the exodus from Egypt, the children of Israel stood on the, on the, the foot of Mount Sinai. Seven weeks. Weeks after the Passover, they find themselves at the foot of Mount Sinai. Now, 
If you look at this, you will discover in most Hebrew scholars, theologians, they emphatically agree with what I'm about to tell you. This is a place in Mount Sinai. It was the marriage covenant between God and his people. Marriage covenant between God and his people. I told you we're taking the scenic route tonight. Are you still with me? So we're taking a, we're noticing something. There's a ministry of Moses and there's a ministry of Jesus. We have here a, 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 a very comparable circumstance. We have a very much a likeness. God does things in patterns, and as we see the patterns become prophecy, and here we see a pattern where, where now Moses and both Moses and Jesus both go up to a mountain, and both of them have an encounter with God. Both of them are transfigured. Then we look deeper, and what we see there is there's a wedding that's taking place at Sinai. Now, the wedding would consist of God giving forth his purpose which was a, 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 a vow that he was making or he was declaring to them. It says, now then in Exodus 19 and 5, now then if you will obey me faithfully and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among the people. And then the people would respond. The bridegroom would make the profession and then the, the, then the, the, the bride would respond. And her response was this. The people said, all the people answered as one saying, all that the eternal has spoken, we will do. In other words, we're going to enter into this covenant. You can't have a covenant with just one person. Amen. You can't have a, I've never had a marriage ceremony with just a bride, or I never had a ceremony with just a groom. It's got to be a bride and a groom, amen? And what did they do? They come and they vow before an audience, but more importantly, they vow before God. Now there's a, there's, there is something taking place here. But in a Jewish wedding, the bride would always go through a cleansing ceremony. I won't pronounce it, but I will, I will spell it for you, M-I-K. V-A-H, mikvah. It was a ritual bath. So Moses tells them in Exodus 19 and 14, Moses came down from the mountain to the people and warned the people to stay pure and they should wash their clothes. So they went through the ritual bath for the wedding, for the marriage. And then what we have is there was my daughter Hannah. She asked for a hoopah for her wedding. Hoopa was a, was made it very easy to 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 coordinate a a wedding because in Jewish tradition there would be a canopy a, a hoopa that the couple stand under in order to when they make their vows and they exchange their vows before the Lord and before each other and so here we have where the cloud of God represents a, a, a hoopah on that, on that mountain. And the Bible tells us that Moses led the people out of the camp toward God. And they took their place beneath at the foot of the mountain. Now, Mount Sinai was all in smoke, for the eternal had come down upon it in fire. So they're sitting under the, the cloud, come all the way down like a canopy and like a hoopah. And they were there making their vows underneath this. Are you seeing this wedding that's taking place? Now, there was the marriage contract. The K-E-T-U-B-A-H. The marriage contract. Come up to me on the mountain and wait there. And I will give you the stones of tablet with the teaching and the commandments that I have inscribed to instruct them. So God was saying, these are the terms of the covenant. This is the contract that I'm giving you. Now take a big stretch and a yawn and let's move on here. Now we look here, we see we're doing a comparison. We see that the purpose, that being Jesus being in the form of, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to every point of the cross. Paul likens the church as the bride and Jesus the bridegroom. We see, I, and it's my estimation and my belief that there was an, an action where Israel was now being entered into covenant with God, but then we also have the church entering into covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
he being the, the true one bridegroom for the church. Amen? We see that Jesus Christ kept the command of God's word. We see that the Lord has cleansed us with the washing of the water of the word. We see how that the Lord takes the contract, not and write it on uh, tablets of stone, but he's written it upon the heart of the church. Amen? So we look at all of that. What are we getting to? Glad you ask. Glad you ask. So seven weeks after the exodus from Egypt, the children of Israel stood at the foot of Mount Sinai. Now, what we see here is that seven weeks after the Passover, the church found themselves where? In the upper room, Pentecost, okay? Now, when Moses got the commands the first time, he got down to the bottom of the hill, and Israel already broke their covenant vows. <laughs> Took them less than 40 days, <laughs> But they broke their covenant vows. And so because now they built a, built a calf out of gold and, and, and they said, Aaron, you go do this. And, and Aaron being the priesthood, you go do this and set up this calf and we'll call this our deliverer. And we'll just believe and we'll act like all the other, uh, other gods of the, of the world act. And, and this is the way we will worship. We will, just, we will declare that, that this is our God, and our God sits on this calf, and we're going to worship here because we don't think Moses is coming back. And when he went down, the Bible tells us that 3,000 died as a result of that. As a result of them going and, 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 and entering into this whoredom, 3,000 died the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of death. But we see that 49 days or seven weeks after the, the Passover, on the 50th day, there was something that happened in the upper room. There was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And there wasn't 3,000 that died that day. There were 3,000 that were, that were added to the church that day. Because there's a ministry now that doesn't lead to death. It's a ministry that leads to life. And that ministry that leads to life uh, in not only declares us righteous, but imparts righteousness to us uh, by changing our nature as we enter into a covenant relationship with a living God. Amen? Now, that was all introduction. Just kidding. Just kidding. So, I want to talk about the veil for a little bit here. I want to talk about the veil. We're down the highway, Highway 7, the, the leaves are turning on the tree. We're, we're, we're enjoying all the color variation that's taking place. and we're, we're seeing the landscape, and we're up the hills, and we're down the turns. And, and, but now I want to look at the veil. As we look at the veil, I want to look at it in two aspects. I want to look at Moses' veil that put over his face, and I want to look at the veil of the temple. Now, you notice there, when Moses came down, he... There was a, his face shone because the glory of the Lord was, was radiating off of him. may not be the best use of the word. Illuminate, I'm just I'm trying to think of the right word to, to describe what, what was being experienced. I don't know. It's maybe when you catch a bunch of fireflies and you smash them up and rub them on your hand. You, you got that rays, rays coming out of his out of, his, out of his head. So, panic-stricken people, they're like, we can't handle this. Let's put a veil. And so the Bible says that in verse 13, he put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds are hardened for this day. When they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, today, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. So we have here Moses, and veils serve a purpose. They serve a purpose. They conceal and they separate. The veils conceal and they separate. So Moses, we're going to have to put this veil over your face 
until you stop glowing. We're going to conceal that glowing until it stops. That was the purpose of it. Now, Moses would put the veil over his face when he talked to the people, but when he went back to the presence of God in the temple, he'd take it off. <laughs> but what we have here is a, the glory of Moses was, would you agree with me, it was an external glory. It was a glory that he walked into, and then he, he absorbed that glory, and he walked out, and he expressed that glory. But the glory of Jesus, it's not external. It's an internal glory that radiates not from without, but from within. From within. See, veils are used to conceal and to separate. Conceal Moses, separate the Ark of the Covenant from the people. The veil in the temple was to separate the holies of holies, the most holy place, from the holy place, from the sanctuary. You could not pass through because there was a veil that separated. In Moses, we see there was a concealing and a separation. But in Jesus, we see a removal and a uniting in Christ. Now, Paul tells us, he's always talking about these mysteries in the Word of God. The mystery of the resurrection, the mystery of lawlessness. But here in Ephesians 5, he tells us another mystery. He said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. Two become one. I use that repeatedly when I do marriage ceremonies. It's the, the two individuals become one. They're no longer separate. They are united. They are together. They are one. And Paul says and shows us that this is a natural occurrence between two covenanted people on earth. In fact, he likens Christ as the bridegroom and we as the bride. He said, this is the great mystery, but I can speak, I speak concerning Christ and the church. So what happens whenever we understand or what happens when Jesus Christ came in his glory? He, he brings to you and I a covenant relationship so that we no, no longer two, but we are one. Amen? That we become one with the Lord. Now, in the temple, before I drive this home, let me just say this. And this is, we're, we're starting to see the, 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 the trees are clearing and we're coming down to the end. We're about to hit our destination. We're about to roll up into Hot Springs, so y'all stay with me. So now we're, we're driving down Highway 7. We're coming into the downtown area. But what we see is the second veil, the veil of the temple. In the veil of the temple, that was for separation, for separation. It kept God on that side and man on this side. God was there, man was here. That veil was separating. Only one man, one time of the year could go under the veil, not without blood, with the blood sacrifice, to enter into that most holy place. It was the only time. It was the indication that God's desire was for man to enter in and to have relationship. But it wasn't possible at that time. Why? Because there's a veil to protect man from God and his holiness. But man could not even, just one man, the high priest and only one man, and once in his lifetime would go under that, into that veil, underneath that veil at the day of atonement. But he wouldn't go in without blood, and he wouldn't go in until he filled the whole room up with smoke, the incense from the censer. But then he could come in. And that remained that way for 1,500 years, year after year after year, they would make the sacrifice. That veil was there. And they would read the Torah, but they couldn't see what was, what was going to take place. They couldn't see the, the, the Christ that was there who would come one day. And there would be a removal of that veil. 
But when Jesus Christ came and he lived and he died, the Bible tells us that the veil was torn, not from bottom to top. Understand that. It was from top to bottom. It was not man's doing. It was God's doing. God tore the veil because of the sacrifice of Christ, tore the veil in two. The furnishing should have still been there. The Ark of the Covenant, the table of showbread, the, the menorah, the, the, the candle, and in right dead center should have been the altar of incense. I'm sorry to tell you, but Joanna Gaines did not come up with the open room concept of living. But see, there was a removal of the separation between God and man. Just like Moses into his, his job when he went to the mountain, he not only received the commandments of God, but he received the instructions of the, temp, the tabernacle of God. And he came and he gave those instructions to those that would build the tabernacle. But in his tabernacle, there was a veil. In his tabernacle, there was a separation between God and man. Only one person. That's kind of limiting, don't you think? One person once a year could go in to the place where God would occupy, which is there at the mercy seat that sat on top of the Ark of the Covenant. But when Christ came, He offered His sacrifice. And when He offered His sacrifice, there was a completion of the need for searching for the spotless sacrifice. Now, the separation, the veil that kept man from God in the inmost part of their being was removed out of the way. I believe, folks, as I was looking at this passage of Scripture today in 2 Corinthians there that we read, I said, Lord, what is the ultimate point? What are you trying to say? And if you will listen to these verses here, we're going to draw to a, a close. John 17, 20 and 21. He said, I do not pray for the, these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Verse 21 of 17. John, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me, I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. John 14 and 19, a little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You will, also, you will live also. At that day you will know I am in the Father, you in me, and I in you. So it's not just an open room concept, folks. Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It is this marriage covenant that takes place. They too shall be one. And the Lord's instruction, for in, 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 in what I asked the Lord, what are you trying to say? He said, ultimately, what I'm trying to say is that we are one. I don't want you to be separated from me, nor do I want to be separated from you, but we are going to live in the context of a union that takes the two and causes them to be one. Now, don't get it messed up. 
He's God and he'll always be God. He is the eternal God. Amen? Now, we're not reshaping the Trinity and making a quad. Amen? It is still going to be the Trinity. It's the Father, it's the Son, and it's the Holy Spirit. But we understand that as Jesus said, I'm going to my Father and i got to get there because if I don't get there, I can't send the one back. And when the one comes back, that will be your helper, your counselor, your instructor, your guide. He will teach you the things that I that I have spoken and he will always let you know that I'm in you and you're in me and now we are in the we are there one with God amen what would happen to your life on a daily basis if you realized that you not only house the living God, but the living God lives on the inside of you. And that you two are meant to be one in connection. Amen? That might change a few things. It may change the way we act, the way we talk, the way we walk, the way we hold ourselves, the way we converse. It also may change our perspective when it comes to the areas of difficulties. And we're alone and we're hurt and we're broken. It feels like the, the, the water is going to sweep us away and the furnace is going to burn us up. Jesus said, or the word of the Lord tells us, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, didn't say you're going to take up residence and, and, and burn to an ash. He said, when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flames scorch upon you. He said, lo, I am with you all throughout the end of the age. He said, I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'm not going anywhere. Why would I leave the home that I just renovated? Amen? Why would I leave the home that I just prepared and made it just like I wanted it? so that I could step in there and be one with you. Amen? I mean, we watch. If we're not remodeling something, we're watching something getting remodeled. I don't know. It's a sickness, I guess. But you never remodel something that is not your taste. Amen? Could it be that you're God's taste? <laughs> and he wants to live inside of you. But more than that, I'm asking the Lord the completeness of this revelation. What does it mean to live as one? What does it mean to live as one? Moses came to bring a marriage covenant between Israel and God. Jesus came to bring a marriage covenant between, between the church and himself and the Father. So that we would understand that we're meant to live as one. Blows my mind. My pea brain just went. That he's not just in you. There was, a, I think it's time, church, we stop living like there's a separation between us and God. I mean, are we reading the Bible just like the, 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 the Israelites that have yet to come to the revelation? Are we reading the Bible and we're just reading it in a, in a, in a mosaic-type ministry and mentality that we don't see that Christ is on every page of the book? That Christology should infiltrate every page of the book of the Word of God and that God's Word becomes alive inside of us and that when we see a lamb slain, we see him slain. When we see, when we see uh, uh, there's victory and there's a place of promise that we are meant to walk in those promises of God, what, what, it would, what, difference, what, what it would make, what difference would it make in our lives if we begin to realize that we are one with the living God? <laughs> that God sees what we see. Sees what we see. That's a horrible English, excuse me. If we began to see what He sees. Folks, this life is but a vapor. We're here and we're gone. We get, we're here and then we're gone. I want us to live life.
to the full measure that God intended as one with Him, where I no longer live like I'm living separated from Him, like I'm not in covenant. That when I read, all I see is the do's and the don'ts and the, and the how that I'll never measure up. I want to see that, oh, Jesus fulfilled that, and I can do that, and, and he, can take a, he can take a bunch of uh, fishermen and turn them into a, a world shakers. He can, he can cause a, 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 a church killer to turn in and become the, uh, the greatest author of the, of the New Testament. He can take uh, the very least and cause them to be the very greatest. How is that even possible? Because there's no more separation between heaven and earth, and now the God, we have access to heaven. It is time that we let heaven have access to earth. When we come to realize that we are not paupers, we are not orphans, we are not rejected, we are not dejected, we are children and heirs of the Most High God. And wherever we go, God goes with us. And whoever we talk to, God talks to. And whatever we see, God sees. Amen. Have you enjoyed this little scenic tour today? It's almost like he intends for us to get this. Just layer it and 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 layer it. Hyperlink this to that and that to this. And look, it's not, it's not coincidence. It just didn't happen that way. There's a mystery, but that mystery is unveiled in Christ. Uh, and what is this great mystery to the Gentiles? Uh, Christ in you. The hope of glory. We sang that song, and it's a beautiful song. But I was thinking as we were singing that song, Show Us Your Glory. We ought to be able to look in the mirror and see the glory of God. Come on. We're not being egotistical. This is scriptural. He did it all for that. So that you may be illumination to a dark world that when you speak, God's speaking the word through you. When what happened when, when, when Moses spoke, the, the, the word of God was spoken to him, it caused his face to glow. What happened when the word received the word from the Father, his whole, whoa, wait a minute, everything changes. Something changes by the power of the word of God. When it's spoken and echoed from eternity, it will transform nations and generations. It will change the outcome of person's eternity in him is life, and that life is the light of men. And we beheld his glory, the, old, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. And anybody that will believe, anybody that will receive, they can receive that glory, and they can become sons of God. And what does it mean to be a son of God? It is to mean that you are living in Christ and Christ is living in you. So the glory that Moses brought, it faded away. It was the little light that went out in the middle of the noon do anything when it came to righteousness. It could only lead to dark people into the place of righteousness. It could only illuminate the righteousness. But oh, when you walk out into the sun, the SU in a righteousness all of a sudden there's a there's a feeling and an impartation and a declaration that you are now righteous and now all of a sudden you are the one glowing with the glory of God so that people around you thought my Lord if God will do it for them he'll surely do it for me amen exceeding surpassing all of the faded glory. They kept the veil on his face because they couldn't behold it. Now we have a declaration from Paul. We can't keep it in. <laughs> Ooh, just That's possible for you and 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 you. That is the purposeful intent of God. That we house the glory of God. And we walk not separate lives, but a unified life with the Lord. Let me say this again and I'm going to close. 
Lord said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You may not always feel him in the room, but he's there. You may not know that he has got his angels camped round about you. That he's in that room with you. He feels your heart. He knows where you're at. He catches the tears before they hit the ground. Every prayer he collects, he doesn't let one of them slip away. They ascend straight to the throne room. Puts it in his vessel of incense. He listens to every word and every beating of your heart. I mean, if he takes the trouble to count the hairs on your head, don't you know he's very meticulous about his care for you? He knows your tomorrow better than you know your moment. He knows where you're at. He knows where you're going. He said, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. Even when I was living in sin, uncommitted with God, God was honoring someone's prayers because the Lord was keeping his hand on me and I didn't even know it. I didn't know when I rolled that car doing 95 miles an hour and everybody was thrown from it and I was left in it that it wasn't my ability keeping me in the car without being harmed. I didn't know that when I was in that surgery as a kid, gangrene infected my entire body and my fever should have caused me to, to, to die, that God was protecting me. On and on and on and on. Because God was honoring someone's prayers over me and the Lord saw my tomorrow and he knew where I would be and he knows where you're at and he knows where you're going. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers that seem to want to sweep you away, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through that fire, I get the image of that furnace, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch upon you. Why? Because you're one with God. You're a child of God. There's no separation between you and God. Stand, if you will. Father, we just want to thank you. We want to thank you, Lord, tonight. We want to thank you for the comfort and the hope that we have in you. And Lord, I ask tonight, Almighty God, that you would just reach down. Bring that peace that goes far beyond understanding. Lord, that settled knowing that Lord you are there Lord lift the angst and replace it with peace Lord I thank you and magnify your name I pray for those that are in this house tonight those that have yet to receive the revelation of the oneness with God. They're still living a separate existence like you're not really there. Lord, you would bring a revelation that you brought forth a covenant. Lord, you brought a covenant that you came as a man to fulfill that covenant. You hold both sides of the covenant, Lord. Father, you made your commitment, and Jesus, you made your commitment, and now, by the witness of the Spirit, we can make a commitment and enter into that relationship. Lord, I'm asking for victory and freedom in the hearts of your children. Take just a minute, just... I just feel the Holy Spirit just ministering to hearts right now.
Don't you just love the stillness of the Spirit sometimes? Just Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Can somebody say amen? Tonight, our gentlemen are at the back to receive our missions offering. You know what's at the heart of God? All of humanity. <laughs> Doesn't matter if they're in the, down the street or across the sea. Tonight, we want to lift up and use as a, uh, our profile tonight, missionaries Tim and Ella Bentley. The Bentleys are uh, founding directors of Cry for the Balkans. Their ministry... Uh, exist to establish churches, equip leaders, deliver hope uh, to the unprivileged and the marginalized. They have a vision to establish a hundred churches in the next 25 years. How many believe you need a dream bigger than yourself? You need a God-sized dream. The Balkans in the Southeast uh, European uh, region, Southeastern European, Europe region, uh, as the center of conflict for many centuries, there's less than 1% of evangelical Christians in the 30 unreached people groups in that land. It's a big job, amen? Let's pray that the light of God's glory may shine so brightly that people will be transformed by the Word of God, amen? Father, we ask, Lord God, tonight, Lord, as we partner with you, Lord, as we know that some go and others are sent, Lord God, we can do what we can do, Lord God. And Father, I just pray tonight that you would put on the hearts of your children, Lord God, to give beyond themselves, Lord God, to, to reach in, Lord God, that they may see, Father God, the souls, Lord, in the Balkans. We pray, Father God, that, Lord, that the, the dream that you have put upon the hearts of these individuals, Lord, would, Lord, you would so far exceed that, Lord God, that, Lord, in the next 10 years, there would be 200 churches, Lord. I just pray, Father, that you would just right now rapidly multiply the kingdom of God, knowing, Father, that we're drawing near to the end. And I pray, Lord, for a great revival in the Balkans. And, Lord, we ask these things in your name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. We love you. Appreciate you. Amen. Thank you for your giving. Thank you for being here tonight.